Thank you for tuning in to Uncommon Women, a podcast that provides a platform for women of all walks of life to share their upbringings, life lessons learned, experiences, and journeys to come. Uncommon Women speaks on topics that can relate to all women. We share, we listen, we laugh, we cry, and we empower each other to be the best uncommon woman that they can be. Ultimately, we are cultivating a global movement of women supporting women. Women supporting entrepreneurship, relationships, self-love, and so much more. We inspire each other to make an impact on this world for the better. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to Uncommon Women. Now, finally, grab a seat, get comfortable, and hear from your wonderful host, Shanira and Jenny Lee. Hi, kings and queens. Thank you for tuning in to Uncommon Women. I'm Shanira. And I'm Jenny Lee. And today we have an amazing guest speaker by the name of Lori. She's going to be coming in to share her expertise and how she helps the community uh, for both businesses and nonprofits. Uh, if you have a vision out there and you want to bring it into something bigger than what you imagine, she's the person that's going to be able to help you during that journey. Uh, before we get into some questions today, I'm going to go ahead and bring Lori on. Thank you so much for coming on our platform today. And before we get into some questions, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, absolutely. First, I want to thank you, Shanira and Jenny Lee and the uh, Uncommon Women podcast for inviting me as a guest today. Um, as you said, my name is Lori D'Onofrio Galli. I'm the owner of the Right Angle Strategic Storytelling. I started my business nearly 11 months ago, but I worked for 38 years. And for the last 23 years, I was very much involved with public relations, sales and marketing for nonprofit organizations in Berks and Lancaster counties. Uh, I'm also a native Berks Countyan. I grew up in Wyomissing and I graduated in the class of 1979. And I'm very happy to be involved in the community at large in my work um, and also for the many years that I was uh, acting in a leadership role in nonprofits. Well, thank you so much for you know stepping out in faith and starting your own journey last year. Uh, with that being said, how how was that? You know, what inspired you to quit your job and actually start your own business? Well, the thought had been in my mind for many years. And I had done some freelance work. I had done a little bit of consulting work. And I had done that on and off for the 23 prior years, although I had been working full-time in nonprofit management, as I mentioned. Um, but one day in the August of 2020, I was walking my dogs around the block during the pandemic year. And it really came into my head that, you know, I think this is the right time for me to go through the process to map out a business. And really what inspired me to do that was knowing that a few months later in March of 2021, I would have, uh, I would celebrate my 60th birthday, which ironically my birthday's tomorrow. So I'll be 61 tomorrow. But the thought of that 60th birthday coming was really a huge catalyst for me in thinking it's kind of now or never to make this happen, something that I've been thinking about almost all the way back to my college graduation, mm -hmm. which was in 1984. So I'd had the thought in my mind for many decades. And my second thought was, I don't want to be 70 years old, look back and say to myself, 
I never tried it. I never, I never went for it. I didn't start my own business. So mm -hmm. that's really what, as I said, inspired me. It was that upcoming birthday. Mm -hmm. Well, happy birthday, early birthday to you since tomorrow Thank is your you. birthday. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you, um, since you said you worked in, you worked in doing nonprofits and everything else, um, and with your business that you have, can you break down what exactly you do for both industries? Yes, yes. And it's interesting because when I worked for 23 years in nonprofit management, I worked for four different nonprofits in Berks and Lancaster counties. Okay. And each nonprofit mission was very different. My very first nonprofit job, I was in that job for 13 years and I was a museum executive director. When I came into that role, um, I was encouraged to apply for the position from one of my college um, mentors. Uh, she was one of my English professors. I was an English major. She was on the board of that nonprofit, and she was the one who had encouraged me to apply. So that was my entree into the world of nonprofits. So that was a living history museum. When I left there after 13 years, um, I came back to Berks County and I started working at Berks Women in Crisis, which is now Safe Berks, right. uh, as their first development director. After that role, I worked at Aaron's Acres, which has operations in Lancaster, Dauphin, and Berks County. I was a development director there. And my last job before starting my PR business um, was working at the Northeast Berks Chamber of Commerce, which is the small regional chamber right. located in Kutztown. Um, and so when I went through those roles, naturally, um, each one had a different mission. So you heard me talk about um, museum. So there was a history, a his living history museum. Then I went into the um, Safe Berks mission, um, learning about domestic violence and serving uh, those clients. Uh, mm -hmm. Then I went into Aaron Zaker's. Um, with programs for children with disabilities, and then transitioned into a small regional chamber of commerce. Now, mm -hmm. on the surface, it may seem that, wow, those are all very different missions. Yes. However, when you're in the role of an executive director or a development director, you are really, as I said at the start of this conversation, you're in the role of sales and marketing and public relations. That's what that role is. And I always looked at it in the way that I can learn about the local history. I can be trained um, to have a better understanding about domestic violence. And they have an excellent yeah. training program at Safe Berks. I can understand and meet with families and learn about children with disabilities, how they can be benefited. Um, and then coming into the chamber, of course, I had always worked with businesses in terms of volunteers and donors at the other nonprofit organizations. So coming into the chamber felt like a very familiar job to me, although I'd never worked at a chamber of commerce. Because it was small, I think the culture of it was a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me very much of my first job in the Small Living History Museum. Mm -hmm. That's because both were small operations in college towns yes. and fostering those relationships and partnerships, building that network was really key and critical to success for those organizations. So in doing all of that, it's almost like you have to have an understanding of how to market the organization, how to engage 
the um, donors and the volunteers, how to make those donors feel confident. And then really very importantly, the public relations aspect is you need to promote and make that organization visible and especially what are its services because you want your donors and volunteers who are very dedicated, by the way, for all of those organizations, invest a lot of time because they believe in the mission, right. usually mm -hmm. because they've been touched by it in some way, but you want them to see that organization and its services published in the paper, talked about in interviews, so that they know that their investment is worthwhile and that you're really you know, using and leveraging their time, talents, their financial donations in the best way possible. And the only way to really do that is to get that information out there in the community. And so not only did I have that role as a public relations strategist, a, a development person, uh, marketing, selling, when you're working with a membership association, you're recruiting members. I did that for the museum as well as the chamber. The interesting thing for me that I discovered when I started working at the chamber, which was in 2015, was, was twofold. The first was because I had gone to all those different organizations with completely different missions, that was the shift, you know, in the way that we talk about, and we're tired of saying the words pivot and shift for the mm -hmm. pandemic, but let's face it, we all know that organizations evolve, people evolve, they move from one job to another. And so you're constantly acclimating yourself, but yet bringing that knowledge experience and those resources that you have and taking them to the next place. So all that work that you've done is really, really can be carried through. So I discovered that it was interesting that I was able to go to different missions, but still able to have successes applying the strategies and practices that I knew. So after I worked at the chamber, one of the great learning experiences for me there was the constant immersion into the world of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. That's because that chamber is small. There were about 240 members. 50% of the chamber membership was solo entrepreneurs and small businesses. Many of those people are my friends today. And because I was developing a relationship with those people, I was learning every day, every week for months and years about their businesses and all aspects of them on top of all of the guest speakers that we had. Yeah. So in a way, I went to entrepreneurship school for six years. I already had that mindset. I knew that I always had it. And so when I made that decision, I had real clarity about it. And I felt that as much as I could know going into it, you can't know everything about starting your own business. Yeah. But I felt that I had a good leg up, that I was confident that I you know, was headed in the right direction. So to answer your question, I was able to take that flexibility that I have and that adaptability okay. from all those jobs. Then I was able to take a skill and a strength that I had, which was public relations. It was something that always came naturally to me all the way back to when I was in college. But that had really grown and developed through all those jobs. And so because of those two reasons, um, I, I was able to take that leap to launch mm -hmm. the business. 
And the last, the last point that I want to make about it is I was probably working at the chamber, not even the first year, when a light bulb went on in my head. And that was, I realized that the solo entrepreneur is like a nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm. Now I had worked that I was now at my fourth one. I'd worked at large ones like BWIC. I'd worked at medium or mid-sized ones. I'd worked at small ones. But they all have the same challenges because of course their effort goes toward serving their clients or their yes. members as it should. Yeah. But they can struggle sometimes, even if they're large, because they may not have enough volunteers to support mm-hmm. all the activities. Um, and there's a lot of administrative work behind the scenes that has to happen. And so there's that focus on the client, on the mission, and sometimes not enough manpower to get, you know, a lot of that, like making sure you get a press release out, making yeah. sure you get your bulk mailings organized, or, you know, sometimes filing just piles up and you need uh-huh. something to do that. Yeah. The solo entrepreneur. Here are people, when I started at the chamber, I was just fascinated to go to somebody's basement where they had a full-blown operation going on, where they were working probably seven days a week. And as you may know, when you have an operation in your home, a business in your home, you're self-employed in any way, uh, that's always there. You know, your home, you're always going to walk by that room where you have your office and get drawn into it and probably more hours (laughs) (laughs) so what i realized was wow these small businesses don't have enough manpower sometimes sometimes they're growing and they're not you know they're so busy working in their business six or seven days a week don't even have time to hire or maybe they need to market their business but they don't want to do it or they don't know how to do it And so when that light bulb went on, I thought, wow, that's how I can understand how to benefit the small business chamber members, because I'd already been living in the nonprofit world for about 20 years when I showed up there. And it, it, it really kind of clicked for me. So I feel that when I launched this business last April, although the thought had been in my head for many years before that, for me, it was the right time because had mm-hmm. I not gone through the 23 years of nonprofit management, had I not met and been immersed in the world of the entrepreneur, if I hadn't learned all those things, I wouldn't necessarily have been completely ready. Mm-hmm. Not to mention mm-hmm. all the resources that we have in all of our counties and communities. I was so knowledgeable about the resources because I had to find those resources over right. the years to support those organizations. Hmm. So it kind of was like a purpose for you because you've already had the the tools. You just needed to put it in place to actually start your own, own business, which worked right. out. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. everything, exactly. Was, everything was right in front of you already. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I love doing the public relations the way I do it now, because I'm working um, with many small to mid-sized businesses and some nonprofits. And I love that one-on-one partnership that we establish mm. in in designing a custom public relations plan and helping them implement it. So again, very much like those one-on-one conversations I had with volunteers 
donors or members that I was recruiting, uh, it's very similar to that. And that gives you an opportunity to build a better relationship with them as well. Yes. Yes. So with you having different roles and um, your different jobs over the years, which one did you enjoy the most? Well, I have to say, I, I did love the nonprofit work. I always called it my niche, and I felt that I became an expert, developed an expertise in that area. My very first nonprofit job, I was in for 13 years, and I just um, visited the Heritage House last week because my former co-worker was retiring, and uh, I drove to Elizabethtown, and I was able to participate in her farewell luncheon. Okay. That job is the most special to me for many reasons. The first was it was my very first nonprofit job. And I remember when I showed up and I really had no idea what it would be, you know, what I, of course I saw the job description, but I wasn't fully understanding what the responsibilities would be. Now, as I mentioned, I was an English major and I always knew that I would be a writer and an English major, even starting at the age of 10. And the reason I mention that is because I spent years, especially in high school, every um, elective I would take would be another another writing class. So I was just like a machine. And in those days, I wasn't even using a typewriter, handwriting all the term papers wow. and wow. book reports and all of that. And so um, I just lost my train of thought. What did you ask? <laughs> I just Sorry, you you were you know just taking it back. Um, oh, oh the special, which, which yeah. was my favorite. <laughs> yes, sorry, I lost. So where I was headed with that was this: when I started that job, it was 1998, and my kids were young. My my younger daughter was not quite four years old. Uh, my other daughter was not quite seven years old. So I had my hands full with two young kids. Right. And I remember my very first responsibility was to start working on grants. I didn't even know what a grant was really at that point. I'd never written one or been involved in that process. For an English major, this is where I was going, for a person who was used to writing long reports and term papers and, and so forth, um, I loved it. I loved spending this. I'm not kidding you. I remember a grant where I spent 70 hours preparing and building the ground wow. and writing the grant and of course typing it then right. by then I was typing it and you know working on a grant is more than having you know good writing skills if you're skilled at grant writing that means that you have an analytical mind and you mm -hmm. understand how mm -hmm. to build everything into the budget for that because when you're young and you start doing it, you know, you work on that and then say it's for a, an educational event or a summer camp or whatever it is. And you realize, oh, I didn't factor in, you know, the supplies and right. all of that. <laughs> so you become very skilled. And I wrote many, many grant narratives. Um, and you also have to understand why grants are declined and you, you start to learn that as you go through the process. But that job was very special to me because it was my first nonprofit job. Love the people, was a really high functioning board of directors. I was mentored so well through that process that we actually, we were living in E-Town at the time. I've lived okay. in Berks County most of my life. 
But for about 11 years, my husband and I, when our kids were little, lived in Elizabethtown, which is where this museum was. Okay. And my husband got a job offer in Chester County. So we moved back to Berks. So I worked there for five years, came back to Berks, and then I commuted to E-Town, you know, for eight years to that job because I loved it so much. And it was, I have to say, I love traditional things and I love Williamsburg and imagine that my office was inside a 1750 log house. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> so I, and then we had an adjacent um, Pennsylvania German log house. So there was a Scotch Irish and the Pennsylvania German. And I have to say that every day that I worked in there and walked through the log house with the exhibit cases and all that, I was so happy to be in there. I just mm -hmm. loved it. So yeah, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. So so since you were speaking on grants, um, grant writing, why do you believe that it's important? Well, it's important because, as as you may know, um, depending upon the size of a nonprofit organization, naturally, the operating budget could be large or small. Right. And mm -hmm. especially in Berks County, we know that there's a lot of philanthropy. There are a lot of giving people who donate and have for years to so many of our nonprofits. Um, but it always seems that, you know, in terms of wanting to provide more or better services for the clients, sometimes you have to move to a larger uh, location or expand your operations in some way. You're always needing additional funding for right. something okay. or for special projects, you know. And so, Many times on staff, there are people who do the grants. Sometimes there are multiple people who share those responsibilities. Some organizations will contract grant writers. And um, so, again, it it kind of I think it's a good uh, a place for newer employees to get involved in that process to better understand the full scope of okay. what the organization does. And again, what is it, what all is it that you have to weave into a grant narrative and a grant budget? And there are partial grants as well. Okay. Uh, there are many smaller grants out there, community grants, um, the banks offer some grants. And then of course, through the state, there are many opportunities. But you know, when I started my business last April, because I had lived in that nonprofit sector for so long, I didn't realize that there were some grants for entrepreneurs. Did you mm -hmm. realize that? Mm -hmm. Okay. So recently I applied for and received a $2,000 grant. Um, and I worked through a process with Burke's Arts in Reading and also the Kutztown University SBDC, which is mm -hmm. at the Burke university. Well. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I was reading Instagram, even though I'm not a 30 year old, I read Instagram every night and I, I, and I see, you know, since the pandemic, there are many more businesses and nonprofits really effectively using Instagram, you know, mm -hmm. as a platform to engage. And I happened to see that Berks Arts posted a notice about this grant for the creative entrepreneurs. And my first thought was, well, you know, I can write grants. My second thought was it's probably something valuable maybe for one of my clients. Mm -hmm. So I clicked on it. I didn't really expect it to be something relevant for myself. And when I read through the criteria and I looked at it, I discovered that because I do public relations, there was a category 
for marketing professionals and PR fell under that. Mm. So I'm a person with a great sense of urgency, meaning if I get an idea, I'm going to act on it right away. If I see something and I thought to myself, I'm going to immediately make the contacts that I need because having worked for 23 years in organizations, I was fortunate to have access to systems. Mm -hmm. I used Salesforce for eight years. I knew how to use QuickBooks online. I knew how to do constant contact. Those are some examples. Well, when I'm sitting at home in my home office and I need systems, I didn't have systems when I started. So I thought if I could get this grant for $2,000, I could fund some of the systems I need, like a CRM, QuickBooks online, et cetera. So I reached out to Burke's Arts after reading through the literature Mm -hmm. because they were they're considered a partner pennsylvania partner in the arts ppa okay. the grant itself mm -hmm. comes from the state pennsylvania council in the arts and let me say that for anyone who's listening to this if you go to that website there are a lot of art related videography photography dance music even gaming are some of the categories that are listed there now it is specifically for entrepreneurs who've been in business for two years or less. So it's not somebody that's been in business longer than that. But the bottom line is, um, it was a rather easy process. After I reached out to Burke's Arts, I was then connected to the Small Business Development Center, which is the SBDC. Mm -hmm. And I spoke to Mark Rentschler, whom I happen to know through my work at the chamber. He was the counselor assigned to me. We had a phone conversation. I gave him my business plan. You have to have a business plan. Mm -hmm. He reviewed mm -hmm. that. He was able to say that I had a viable business. I was already working. I was already, already had clients and he filled out some online paperwork. And then Burke's art sent me an application. I completed it and it, it's a rolling deadline. So I saw the notice. I acted upon it immediately. This was in November. The deadline was December 1st. And by the end of December, I had been approved for this grant. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I want, you know, when I see grants out there, I've shared them with people I know. I've shared them with clients. Um, there was a recent grant making opportunity that was publicized. Uh, I saw it in the Reading Eagle. I do read, I, I read a lot of information so I can stay on top. And um, you may have seen this one too. It was a $5,000 community grant. And it was a partnership between Barrio Alegria and the Wyomissing Foundation. And I shared that with some people as well. So I think if you just kind of keep your eyes peeled, and especially if you look at the state website, um, especially in the arts, there are a number of grant making opportunities there. So I think it's worthwhile to take the time to do a little research on that, whether you're a nonprofit. Right. Most nonprofits are really up on the recurring grants and what's out there. And certainly sometimes new opportunities come through, but I don't know that necessarily um, entrepreneurs are thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. With you starting your, your business during the pandemic, did you run into any challenges during your journey of last year? Um, my, my challenge wasn't so much in mapping out the business. I'm very methodical and again, working at the chamber, knowing the small businesses under knowing the SBA and SBDC and score, right. understanding yeah. 
what all the steps were. And I'm a person that would follow every step to the letter, went through that process. Here's where I think the challenges are for people who start their own businesses. Once you're out there, it's kind of funny. It's almost like you're a little bit sheltered when you're an employee and you're working in these organizations for years. And then it's you, right? So if you Mm -hmm. run into a situation where you're dealing with a person, you know, that might be a little bit of a challenging personality, let's just use that as an example. It's just you. There's no one you can turn around and say, you know, I need to talk to the board president about that. <laughs> me and my dogs in the home office, right? So I would say this, in terms of challenges, I look at every challenge as an opportunity. So I've had opportunities to practice and hone my skills in areas that I didn't necessarily always use. And the examples would be negotiating with people Hmm. Um, I would say that's true. Maybe influencing them. This could be a prospective client or a client. Um, There are certain steps. There's a process that I use, a methodology in working with people on public relations. And I know that it works. And I know it can make an impact even in a short-term relationship like two or three months. And sometimes it's foreign to people because they've never done PR. They -hmm. don't really understand. It's kind of an intangible thing in a way, and they don't really understand it. And sometimes they may look at you when you're giving your, you know, advice or strategies. And so understanding how to influence or persuade, you know, in a positive way that this is this work because it's a partnership and my clients will have homework. You know, there's going to be their end of it there's going to be some work so again just to reiterate i think really the challenges are those opportunities to maybe interact with people in a way that you haven't had to do so much when you were an employee makes sense yeah okay so um like you explained with the pandemic um as well as uh, with other people that are really struggling with their business Uh, What other tools that you can give them that you can share? Well, I just mentioned a few minutes ago, and I know when I started working at the chamber, we would often Mm -hmm. have people come into the office who are Mm -hmm. interested in talking about joining, again, almost always small businesses. What so many people don't realize, not just in Berks, but in any of our surrounding counties, is that there are so many free and super low cost resources to help and guide and mentor people. So I just mentioned a few, SBA, Small Business Administration, SBDC at Kutztown University, SCORE, um, and and your Chambers of Commerce, because there's training and um, other programs and the networking and so forth. So if you're thinking about starting a business or you have, even if you just go to the internet and Google or go to the state, the state website is amazing. I mean, you can really, there really is, there are so many step-by-step guides and there are so many guides to not only starting your own business, but you know, how to write a business plan. So I would say that whether you're starting out or if you started and you're struggling a little bit, absolutely reach out to all of those business resources in your county that you can drive to, you can call Mm -hmm. them on the phone, you can Mm -hmm. Zoom with them. 
Um, but also talk to other people. So many of my chamber entrepreneur friends, as I said, I, I talk to them nearly every week. Um, they have been so wonderful to answer questions that I've had, um, to support me in so many different ways. And so I think keeping yourself in the loop with other people. Oh, I want to mention another organization that I didn't, and that's the Burke's Lunchbox. Oh, I've never heard of them. That, um, that they are located inside the Goggle Works, and it is a program of Penn State. Mm, okay. And so between, you know, SBA, SBDC, SCORE, uh, the Launchbox, Chambers of Commerce, so many opportunities. You can just reach out to those people and, um, and, and they're definitely really valuable resources that would cost you very little, if anything. Mm, okay. I like that. So can you explain the difference between a PR uh, strategy versus goals and tactics? Sure. Uh, one, one part of my methodology when I work with clients is that I have to understand through what I call a, my phase one is an investigation. So what I do, I think of as investigative journalism. Okay. And that's because I do research on their business presence and I do some market research. And of course, I've developed and refined a client survey. I have to really understand who they are, how they operate, what sort of PR experience they have, if any, what they're comfortable doing, because I'm not going to have somebody pursue something that they don't feel comfortable with. Um, so my point in saying that is we're always looking at their business goals, or I call them their business priorities. And then the this PR strategies, I align with those because doing so will definitely influence a better outcome, a better opportunity for growth in some way. So the strategy, you know, take an example where maybe someone has a specialty, you know, in their field, or maybe someone has always had that specialty, but now they're going to uh, try to engage a different target audience than they had mm. before a different client okay. and so you know maybe their their business goal is to create a revenue stream from this specialty or okay. a predictable revenue stream and so our strategy then is that we have to figure out how are we going to endorse this person as an expert because you have to demonstrate your expertise you have to share your story because there's a sea of people who do the same thing, right? There right. are yeah. a million financial planners, people mm -hmm. that do insurance, you know, whatever the industry is, lawyers, et cetera. People do have a niche. They have a specialty. They have their own story, something that makes them unique. Right. And so we're look, we want them to be the go-to person. So when you think I need a, you know, I need a lawyer for X, you want to think of that person. So we have to figure out how to endorse you as that expert so that you can get clients, so you can get that revenue stream. And then we have to think about what the tactics are. And some of what I do for people is, you know, creating that pitch so that you're pitching them to not only news outlets, but, you know, pod to be a guest on a podcast like this one. Um, and there's so many multimedia opportunities, as you know, for people to become visible. Mm -hmm. And then so, you know, we're looking at building um, a database of contacts. 
and not just any contacts, but the ones that will be relevant for what they do. Um, and then, of course, the messaging. So yes. all of that is part of a plan. I'm a big believer in plans. I think that oftentimes when people don't have an actual written or typed plan, um, they're kind of sometimes throwing money at the wall and they're trying to figure out how can I get noticed? How can I get attention? I'm going to buy this thousand dollar ad and there's nothing wrong with ads or sponsorships. I'm not saying that, but having a plan and then following through with various campaigns and implementing that and all that advertising and sponsorship and what have you can be part of that larger plan. But you really have to be able to demonstrate the credibility, the reputation, the expertise of that person, you know, some their story. It has to be out there, something that inspires you. You know, anybody could tell a story and you could be interested in it, even if you've never had that experience before. But maybe there's something about what they said or how they said it or how they responded to a situation that you are drawn to. And you know how it is when you meet people. Sometimes you immediately say, wow, I feel like I've always known that person. Or (laughs) sometimes there's just a very immediate connection. So yeah, we're looking at their business goals. We're designing the strategies, tactics, tools, and messaging. Um, and And I do that for different campaigns for them so they can reach their goals. That's amazing. Um, my other, um, is there anything else that you like to add or like to share to help others? Uh, yes, I would. Um, I'm just thinking about the fact that when I just made that decision at the beginning of this interview, I said it was, I I remember it very distinct. I don't remember the day, but it was August of 2020. And I talked about how I had this thought that, you know what, this is, I'm going to be 60 and I'm doing this thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> a few years before, I was also thinking about it and I started the process in my methodical way and I, you know, was getting underway and I did get one client. It was a consulting, I was doing a business development consulting for a small um, nonprofit living history center in Lancaster County. Okay. And um, so I had started to do that, but then then I took a job, you know, so I didn't really fully do that. <laughs> so when I had had this thought back in August, I had another thought, a third thought. I have a lot of thoughts in my head, but I had another thought. <laughs> which was, part of entrepreneurship. <laughs> always, always thinking. Right. I had another thought that I had never had in my entire life. And that was, I think I need to hire a coach to make sure that I do this thing. And the reason I say that I think coaches are great. I know so many different coaches. They all have specialties. I always was motivated, driven, you know, and and kind of a go-getter. And I just didn't think about it for myself. I thought it was great. But I remember meeting a coach several years ago who told me that, she had a coach and I thought, wow, this is wild. A coach has a coach. I mean, it never dawned on me that this could be the case. And so I thought about hiring a coach and I thought about someone that I had met 
virtually not even in person because it was the shutdown year. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was Dina Breslin, who's here in Berks County. And I contacted her. And so I went through 12 weeks of coaching, which was amazing. And I was mapping out my business. And so that was all part of my processing. You know, by the time you go through 12 weeks of coaching and simultaneously mapping everything out, you're kind of already, you're in it. By the end of that, it's you're in it. You're confident that you're going to do it. Any fear that you had about it has kind of dissipated because with every week, with every step, you're literally making it happen, even though you haven't launched it yet. Yes. Yeah. So I recommend uh, coaching for people, business coaching and other types of coaching um, to help you, you know, get through a process. And um, I was determined that it was going to happen. That's great. Mm -hmm. And during your journey of, you know, being coached and that whole 12 week process, did you find any um, myths or PA strategies during that journey? Like an aha moment? I think that, yeah, there certainly were aha moments. And, um, you know, I think going back to a comment that I made earlier, Mm -hmm. understanding how to be persuasive and influence. I mean, for heaven's sakes, I was on the debate team in college and, you know, I think of myself as somewhat persuasive, I guess, in terms of sales, you know, selling, Mm -hmm. recruiting members. And it's not in a salesy way, whatever that means. But what I mean is if I genuinely believe in something like, a membership in the museum or a membership in the chamber, to me, that's almost, you know, people would always say to me, oh my gosh, you're so enthusiastic about it. It was because I believed it. You know, I believed that it would be the right decision for them to join these organizations, that it would be a benefit for them. So, um, but it's interesting, the influencing when you're working one-on-one with somebody, whether it's, you know, wanting to close a client on a proposal that you've presented to them, or as I said, working with a client, God bless you, Sorry, um, <laughs> who um, is, is coming to terms with what these steps are, you know, because I think sometimes, you know, you need to get noticed, you know, you need publicity, you know, you need to engage with people who are going to be good partners for growth for you, that doesn't mean you understand what the process is. And not that it's, 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 I think it's a fun process, but Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that if you've never been exposed to that or you don't really know what it involves, it's like coaching. I, I, I'm like a PR coach because we're working on their unique value proposition. What is your story? People say to me, that's an interesting name for your business. I have no idea what my story is. And so mm-hmm. when you're working with people and helping them to kind of pull out of them, what is valuable about what you do, how you do it? Why do we want you to be the person that we hire? Um, and they, some people have never thought about it before. They don't necessarily realize that they bring value to their services or products that they sell. Or how about just being the face of your business, which some people are saying, you know, I've got a business, 
but I don't, I don't think I'm really the face of the business. So, you know, a lot of what public relations is, is the relationship building, the fostering of relationships. And, and, you know, what it's not is, you know, when you hear words like, you know, it's a puff piece or people think that if they get a, a story in the paper once or twice, their sales are going to go up like that. There's never a guarantee that you will be covered by the newspaper, radio, television. Um, every one of my clients has had that experience, even in two to three months of working with me has gotten multiple media engagements. However, there's never a guarantee for that. And I say that, but I will do whatever I do, can do to influence that because of the relationships that I've built. And so when I'm often advising people to really expand their network, um, I had heard this phrase at an ABWA meeting, we had a speaker and it's really what I do, but I never called it that. And it, she said intentional networking, mm -hmm. which I love mm -hmm. because, yes, we all go to the larger events and there's value in that. But the intentional networking I see as all those one to one, not only, you know, having coffee at the local cafe. I have reached out to people on LinkedIn, people that I don't know at all. And I've had Zoom calls with them. Mm -hmm. And I think that because of what happened with the pandemic and the shutdown, I think it's easier than ever to use a platform like LinkedIn, which is my number one platform, to really engage with prospective partners, clients, customers, you know, finding guest speakers, et cetera. Um, I think you just have to get out there and really listen to other people's stories and then they'll want to hear your story. And the more that you expose yourself to all different people and perspectives, it always comes back in a positive way. It may not be that day or that month, but you never know when somebody calls you and said, you know, I was thinking about what you said two months ago, and my friend is looking for a guest speaker for X, and I recommended you. Or you know, the constant give and take of the network is so important. You give and take from your network. So mm -hmm. they give you things, refer you for things, recommend, share. And when you do that back, it again, it's so valuable. When you make those connections, you never know what a connection will bring. I think that's what's mm -hmm. so exciting about it. You just don't know that down the line, it's it's going to develop into something potentially very exciting. That's true. Mm -hmm. I agree. Cross um, building that relationship, and you never know who someone else knows that exactly. that can help you, or you can help them in the long run. So, uh, right. referrals is definitely a good good thing in the business world. <laughs> Yes. Sure is. <laughs> so, yeah. So my advice is, you know, get out there and meet as many people as you can because mm -hmm. you're genuinely interested in just learning more about someone. And if, if that's what it is, 45 minutes on Zoom, learning about what they do or their background. And probably if you're in Berks County, the 25 people that they know that you already know, but you never you've never met them before. Um, just that alone is valuable. Yeah. So can you share your business and your website and what you actually do for your clients? Yes. So my business is called The Right Angle Strategic Storytelling. 
Uh, it's rightangle.us.com is a website. I'll give a shout out to my daughter, Emma D'Onofrio Galley, who is my graphic designer. She did my logo, all of my print marketing, and she uh, and my husband worked on my website. And you can reach me at 717-413-2604, or my email is ldg at rightangle.us.com. So if you're looking for, uh, you know, to get noticed, become the face of your business, um, attract more interest in your services or products, and you're looking for someone to partner with who will use a methodology, but also creative PR strategy, then uh, reach out to me at Right Angle. Thank you so much. And we do have some comments from some of our viewers. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> We're taking we're taking viewer questions. Okay. Yes, yes. So let's see. We have Annette Ford. She says no one is more passionate about making good connections. So Thank you, Annette. <laughs> Emma, shout out to Emma that helps out. She says, I'm so proud of you, Mom. There's my graphic designer, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we have a birthday shout out from Kim Davis. Uh, she says happy birthday. She's another Pisces, Kim Davis. Those are Pisces. <laughs> happy birthday to you, Kim. And let's see. Uh, we have Marie. She states, I'm always learning from you. Oh, thanks, Marie. And we have, uh, let's see, one more. Let's pick one more. Words of encouragement. Uh, you're never too old. And I, I think she's Aww. referring to starting a business. That's my sister-in-law. Oh, that's your sister-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> and I can agree with her. I agree with her. It's never too old. It's never, never too, too old. late or too you old. Know, I actually looked up that statistic recently because we know that so many people post-pandemic or during the pandemic are starting businesses. And I wanted to see what kind of that oldest age range was the typical age of a person launching a business. Of course, there are other people right. uh, my age, but, but, but even though that age is creeping up, like there are people in their mid to late forties starting businesses, there still aren't as many, you mm -hmm. know, in the higher ages. Hopefully I'll influence someone to do that right now. <laughs> Don't forget about your dreams, guys. That's what we're yeah. <laughs> No matter how old you are, it's never too late to fulfill a dream. <laughs> Thank right. you, Lori, for coming on this evening. I was honored to have you on here. Um, thank you for educating everyone. So hopefully someone took some... Um, some ideas off of you from this evening, whoever is starting a business or starting a nonprofit, thank you so much. But we have one question we ask all our guest speakers. What makes you uncommon? Well, that is a very interesting and not entirely unexpected question, <laughs> given, given the name of your podcast. Uh, this is what I, 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 I've given some thought to this. I, as I just said, I am a Pisces. And the reason I mention that again is because, you know, the Pisces has the two fish heads going in mm -hmm. <laughs> directions. And my husband said, you always say one of two things. You said, you never do that or you always do that. I said, that's because of the fish heads. Mm -hmm. So the reason I bring that up is because I've been told this by people and I know it to be true and it might be uncommon. I'm not saying it's completely unique, but it might be uncommon. Mm -hmm. 
my perspective on work projects is I have a, a kind of a visionary perspective, meaning if I am working with an organization, if I'm working with a client, I can see the potential. So if they say, I want to go there, or even if they don't, I might see something that they don't. And so that vision of seeing, okay, this is where we're headed. But even though oftentimes that's, I never know my left or right brain, which, which one has, which <laughs> that's one side of a brain. <laughs> so that's, that's my sort of, that's my creative side that can see the vision. But then my other side um, is very methodical. I like structure. I like mm. the step-by-step -step. I like to implement I'm detail oriented. And typically those two things don't really go together. So for whatever reason, I can see the vision and then I can figure out the plan to get there and then I can make it happen and, and work with people to do that. So I think that's what makes me uncommon is that I have those kind of two sides of my brain operating together. Hmm, I like that. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you again for um, coming on and educating everyone. Um, and like I, like I said, I hopefully someone take some good ideas and and invest in their dreams. And again, it's never too late. Thank um, you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> so everyone, thank you for tuning in this evening. Um, I will be speaking on our clothing. If um, you want some merchandise, uh, make sure you check out our page at www.uncommonwomen.net as well as make sure you go check out our YouTube channel, um, like and share and subscribe. And also next um, Thursday, make sure you tune in. Uh, we have a wonderful guest speaker that will be sharing her testimony at 8 p.m. Eastern time, as well as I am going to be talking about um, for this year of 2022, I've been talking about awarenesses. I will also, I am looking for people for awarenesses for the months of May, June, and July. Um, for the awarenesses for May is lupus and mental health, as well as for June is for blindness and brain awareness, and July for cleft and psychoma. And also make sure you come out and check me out on Instagram live, April 12th at 7 p.m. Eastern, which I have a mother, uh, well, she will be talking about uh, autism and wellness. You definitely have to come check out her story and her story is very powerful. And if you or you know anyone that wants to come on to um, the platform to speak on um, any awarenesses or if you are advocating or just want to also just speak on your story and just want to share and just inspire others out there because it's very important with these awarenesses that be spoken, even the smaller even awareness is that many don't really speak on. It needs to be known and it's very important. So like I can, you can also reach me at, you can reach out to me and email me at uncommonwomen, uncommon3women at gmail.com. And thank you all for this evening and stay uncommon. Bye.